This morning we continue our series into the unknown, looking at the life and faithfulness of Abraham. Uh, this week is called Promise, and we might call it Covenant, uh, but it, it is based in Genesis chapter 17. Hear these words. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Walk with me and be trustworthy. I will make a covenant between us and I will give you many, many descendants. Abram fell on his face and God said to him, but me, my covenant is with you. You will be the ancestor of many nations. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. I will make you very fertile. I will produce nations from you and kings will come from you. I will set up my covenant with you and your descendants after you in every generation as an enduring covenant. I will be your God and your descendants God after you. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are immigrants, the whole land of Canaan as an enduring possession, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants in every generation. This is my covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Circumcise every male. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskins and it will be a symbol of the covenant between us. On the eighth day after birth, every male in every generation must be circumcised, including those who are not your own children, those born in your household and those purchased with silver from foreigners. Be sure you circumcise those born in your household and those purchased with your silver. Your flesh will embody my covenant as an enduring covenant. Any uncircumcised male whose flesh of his foreskin remains uncircumcised will be cut off from, my, from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will now be Sarah. I will bless her and even give you a son from her. I will bless her so that she will become nations, and kings of peoples will come from her. Abram fell on his face and laughed. He said to himself, can a 100-year-old man become a father or a 99-year-old woman have a child? To God, Abraham said, if only you would accept Ishmael. But God said, no, your wife Sarah will give birth to a son for you and you will name him Isaac. I will set up my covenant with him and with his descendants after him as an enduring covenant. As for Ishmael, I've heard your request. I will bless him and make him fertile and give him many, many descendants. He will be the ancestor of 12 tribal leaders, and I will make a great nation of him. But I will set up my covenant with Isaac, who will be born to Sarah this time next year. When God finished speaking to him, God ascended, leaving Abraham alone. Abraham took his son Ishmael, all those born in his household, and all those purchased with his silver, that is, every male in Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that same day, just as God told him to do. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We drove up on that rainy day to City Hall, our file in hand with utility bills and proof of address. Giddy with the excitement of a couple about to marry, we looked forward to what this moment would hold. 
So we followed the directions to the basement of City Hall, the registrar's office. There we found the prototypical government bureaucracy office. The fluorescent lights overhead, the lack of hospitality, and the feeling like maybe we were doing something wrong or illegal. Kind of like how one feels every time they head to the DMV. We were called up next to the counter. A couple signatures and a notarization later, we were in possession of a marriage license, the symbol of the contract that we were about to enter under the eyes of the government. This document has great legal power. It changes how we file taxes. It even began the process of official name changing. But it felt like a contract, like a business negotiation. And the basement of City Hall felt like a place where you sign contracts. I get to be this, on the signing and sending end of these contracts as a pastor now. And I'll tell you, sending marriage, marriage licenses in after a wedding feels trite. After walking with a couple in the months leading up to their wedding and leading them in a worship ceremony, there is something far deeper and greater in marriage than a contract. And it is a covenant. In the Old Testament, God's covenant is this unwavering commitment between God and the people of Israel. At its root, the covenant is expressed with these words, I will be your God and you will be my people. God commits God's self to this people of Israel and makes covenant with them time and time again. Covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David guide this overarching theme of God's unwavering commitment to God's people. In Genesis 17, God comes to Abram and says to him, I am El Shaddai. This means I am God of the mountain or God Almighty. This term hasn't been used yet in the Old Testament of God, and in it, God does something significant. God comes to us with a new name and commits God's very self to us. God is telling Abram that not only has he made this promise to him to make him a great nation, God has already done that for Abram many times before in this story. Rather, in the name God Almighty, God is telling Abram that God has the power to carry out his end of the promise. What is that promise? Hear these words again. Walk with me and be trustworthy, El Shaddai says. I will make a covenant between us and I will give you many, many descendants. Abram fell on his face and God said to him, but me, my covenant is with you. And you will be the ancestor of many nations. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. I will make you very fertile. I will produce nations from you, and kings will come from you. I will set up my covenant with you and your descendants after you in every generation as an enduring covenant. I will be your God, and your descendants God after you. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are immigrants, the whole land of Canaan, as an enduring possession, and I will be their God. 
What is the promise? The promise is for land and descendants. Specifically, God will give Abram's myriad descendants this promised land. This promise goes far beyond Abraham. God commits God's very self to Abraham's family for eternity. So Abraham cannot help but fall on his face in amazement and wonder. God has chosen Israel, who will specifically come from Abraham's grandson, to carry out this work of reconciliation between God and humanity. The covenant at all times is about this reconciliation. For the relationship between God and humanity has been broken, and God's covenant is always committed to restoring and to reconciling that relationship. Karl Barth, the great theologian, describes the covenant in this way. The fellowship which originally existed between God and man, which was then disturbed and jeopardized, the purpose of which is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in the work of reconciliation, we describe as the covenant, end quote. God comes to Abraham and comes to us, committing God's very self to us and to restoring relationship with humanity. By definition, however, a covenant is two-way. For Abram is given a role in fulfilling this covenant. God does not force it upon him without choice. And it seems like Abram will be cut off from this covenant if he doesn't fulfill his end of the bargain. So in this moment of covenant-making, God gives Abram a new name. Abraham. God gives us a new name as we commit ourselves to God. And it's not just Abraham who has a new identity as the father of many nations or the ancestor of a multitude. He also gives Sarai a new name, Sarah. She will be the mother of Israel. God gives us a new identity as we commit ourselves to God. We know about new identities as Christian people. Historically, in our baptism, garments of white have been worn to symbolize the new creation that God is making within us in baptism. And in that moment of baptism, a Christian name is asked for. Many times, people's names would change at their baptism. I have learned and have often taught that at someone's baptism or funeral, I say only their first and middle name for their Christian name that they have taken on at baptism is this surname, Christian. It's our last name now. We are brothers and sisters. Our identity has been changed. We have new names and new identities to live into. When we go in the business of naming our children or deciding on a name for them, none of us does this in a quick manner. We think long and hard about the significance and the meaning of the name. Sure, we may have a name that was a family name and an easy one to pick, but we pray and think about how we want this little baby to live into that name. When we take on the covenant responsibility of being one with Christ, we also should consider what it means to live into that identity. It is a massive gift, and it also comes with responsibility. For as God says to Abram in that first verse, he says, I am El Shaddai, walk with me 
and be trustworthy. Scholar Kathleen O'Connor writes it this way. She says, the changes signify a new moment in the vocation of Abraham and Sarah. They are now formally bound as participants in the covenant with their God. The name changes now formalize their new identity as recipients of the promise of offspring and of land. They live in a new reality, a covenant between you and me. And from this, their future will follow. They walk with God. When Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah, their name signifies a change of their lives. My wife chose to take my last name in marriage, and I'm not making a judgment about doing that or not. But that name change signified her changed identity. I only wish culturally there was a more common way for the man to change his name too, because my identity was equally changed in that moment. Abraham and Sarah, with their new identities, are given a job now in this covenant. It is to walk with God. This is not as simple as it sounds, for they are to be trustworthy. The word here means to live wholly and with integrity before God. Author and speaker Brene Brown often speaks about living wholeheartedly. This is what Abraham and Sarah are called to do with God, and God gives them a symbol to signify that change, circumcision. Now the people of God will be marked by this physical change of all of their males, and they will remember that daily. As I read this covenant passage again this week, one phrase in particular strikes me. As God details the covenant to Abraham, he says this, and because I have made you the ancestor of many nations. Because I have made you the ancestor of many nations. God speaks to Abraham as if this covenant is already fulfilled, is already complete. God speaks with the confidence that only El Shaddai, God Almighty, can. Abraham will ask the obvious questions of God. He'll even fall on his face laughing. Can a 100-year-old man really father a child? Can a 99-year-old woman really be expected to be a mother? And this is what we are reminded of in this covenant. Of course, a 100-year-old man, a 99-year-old woman cannot have children on their own. But this covenant is not about Abraham and Sarah on their own. No, it is about God Almighty. And Isaac will be a child of this promise, an enduring reminder that God is upholding God's end of this bargain. All things are possible with God. The promise that God makes to us is not fleeting. The covenant is still in effect. Even when we are into the unknown, God is El Shaddai and we are God's people. We are beloved by God and are the recipients of God's reconciliation with humanity in Jesus. Your belovedness does not change. Your belovedness does not change. When it feels like God is silent, 
when you are anxious or sad or lonely, when life is not going as you planned, your belovedness does not change. God's covenant with you is enduring. It is something you live into now, and you'll realize the fullness of only after you die. But no matter how you feel, God loves you. God is the God who is always saying yes to God's end of the covenant with us. There is nothing that you can do to turn away from God's love for you. There is no amount of pushing God away or trying to save yourself that stops God's relentless pursuit of you. God does not look at you and glare with shame. Rather, God sees God's beloved made in God's very image. As my wife and I stood at the altar two days after receiving our contract for marriage, we joined in the covenant of marriage. It was overwhelming and hard to take in and wonderful and holy. We are forever bound in a relationship of sharing now. We participated and fell on our knees in worship of God who binds us together. And it was a lot more holy than the basement of City Hall. For in this covenant, I am changed and she is changed. We have a new identity and God is doing something between us. In covenant relationship, God comes to us first, and we are changed. God gives us a new identity and a new name. And God is always doing something new and fresh and right within us. Let us pray. Oh God, might you be continually in the business of making covenant with us, of giving us a new name and a new identity. Open us up today to receiving that name, to receiving your grace once again. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.